0: Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Charles Gillings to discuss the Utilico Emerging Markets Trust, a constituent of the Interactive Investor Super 60 list. Charles is a director of ICM and chief executive of ICM Investment Management and is responsible for the day-to-day running of Utila co-emerging markets and the investment portfolio. He qualified as a chartered accountant and has extensive experience in corporate finance and asset management. He's an experienced director, having previously been a non-executive director in the financial services, water and waste sectors. He's currently a director of Summers Limited, Waverton Investment Management Limited and Electus Capital Limited. So a very warm welcome to you, Charles, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. So if we could start at the beginning in terms of Utilico Emerging Markets, could you talk us through the objectives and the approach of
1: the trust? So UEM, as it says, is focused on the emerging markets. It's in the title Utilico Emerging Markets. It's a closed-end investment trust. Assets under management are $550 million, and we're looking for a long-term total return. So we're not looking to replicate the market. We're looking for the opportunities that we see in the emerging markets. We focus in or narrow in on, if you want, infrastructure, utilities, assets that have a defensive or a strong characteristic to them. Why do we do that? We have a deep knowledge over decades of investing in this space, and therefore we think we can bring to bear our investment insights. How do we execute it? We focus on listed companies. So if you looked at our portfolio, it's over 97% listed. And within that, we focus on what I would call operating companies. So companies that are up and running and we can, if you want, challenge the management team on their understanding of the asset and the opportunity. And I think that gives us a protection in terms of being listed we can obviously much easier to buy and sell and in terms of management we can readily challenge them on the opportunities that we can see and they can deliver and
0: what are the, the geographical and, and sector weightings of the trust
1: so uh, it, it it moves over time, depending on where the opportunity is, because we're bottom-up investors. As I said before, we don't follow any index. So I think it you know, sort of 99% uncorrelated. Um, not that that's an attribute we aim for, but we are looking at a bottom-up set of fundamentals and adding those investments to the portfolio. So it does move. Today, we are roughly 25% Latin America. Latin America has been up to 40% in the past. We are 15%, what I would loosely call Eastern Europe, and we are, if you want, 50% in Asia. If you look at two countries, the two biggest countries would be China, 17%, and Brazil, 17%. In terms of sectors, again, it does move around uh, depending on what 's the opportunity that we 've unearthed so today twenty percent of the portfolio is in ports and logistics, which has served us well with the recovery that 's come through and if you want the the next next one up would be data services sixteen percent and that 's a sector that 's growing because obviously you can see the imprint of digital and you know the sort of move towards the cloud and cloud computing and and all the infrastructure that's needed for that. So that's been a growing sector for us.
0: Just following on from that, and as a slight aside, Charles, I'm interested in in your views, but we still describe China as an emerging market, with many thinking that within the next decade, it's probably going to become the largest economy in the world and overtake the US. At what stage does China cease being an emerging market, do you think?
1: You know, Richard, it's a good question, and, and 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 periodically we give it some thought. I think the way I look at it is, it's still included as an emerging market within you know most indexes, most commentary, and therefore. It's a destination for investment. But, you know, we would count South Korea as a destination for investment. And arguably, they are a developed economy but they get put in with the emerging markets. And therefore, we would be happily invested there. In terms of China's progress, I mean, it has been extraordinary to visit it over, you know, the last 20 years and see the scale of investment and the scale of change And, you know, it does represent a real opportunity for investors.
0: Okay. So drilling down a bit further, could you talk us through perhaps a couple of your top holdings or positions at the moment?
1: Very happily. So our top holding is ICT, International Container Terminal. It's probably been our top holding for some time now. What's attractive about them is they are headquartered in Manila and the Philippines. They are a container terminal operator, so that's what they focus in on as opposed to bulk. And today they have over 30 ports in over 20 countries. So it's quite actually a diversified business model. And what they do is I think they bring... Very good attention to detail, very good management capability. And if you want, they drive the operating performance of the ports that they um, add to their portfolio. So the outcome is they continue to add ports. So that obviously expands their operations. They continue to drive and and, and then they invest in those ports and therefore they continue to drive the performance performance. And if you look at any operating metrics, they're amongst the top performers globally. So, you know, very attractive business from where I sit. And if you you sort of drill down, because I think they demonstrate what interests us, in the third quarter to September 21, their volumes were up 7%. Their revenues were up 27%. The EBITDA was up 30% and their profit before tax was up 70% and EPS was up nearly 70%. What's happening is they've made the investment. So as they grow the top line, actually, the costs associated, marginal costs associated with it fall to the bottom line. So as long as we can be comfortable with the management and the sense of direction and their ability to execute, I'm a very happy investor. And over the years, they have consistently delivered a fabulous little investment. I think another one to to sort of highlight, which is different in nature, and we started investing in 2019, was India Grid. So India Grid has over 7,000 kilometers of grid infrastructure in India. Its metrics are driven by, if you want, uptime, so they need to be available. But as long as they're available, then they'll earn a return. Now, again, India is, if you want, improving its infrastructure. So they are growing the capital base. But the attraction when we started out was the yield, which was well above 10%. And even today, they're yielding 8.5%. So I'm getting a good return on a sort of dividend basis, but I'm also getting the capital growth. So those are two companies that I think would give you some insight into what we invest in.
0: And in terms of India, is that also benefiting or going to benefit from the kind of move towards urbanisation in India, you know, away from the kind of rural reputation it has had over the past few decades?
1: It should benefit in as much as power will need to be distributed. They have expanded their mandate to invest in renewables. And I know that they've made significant progress on, on solar. So I think that's a good thing, but they should benefit. I always say all our investments should benefit from two things, urbanization, growth in the middle class. So if you looked at toll roads, you know the middle class buys cars, uses toll roads. If you look at airports, it's an output if you want of demands from middle class. And I always say that most of our investments are exposed to what I would call the sort of GDP growth. So, you know, as long as we can get comfortable with the outlook, we can find good investments which fit into our portfolio.
0: Which leads on to the interesting question. I mean, clearly we've had quite extraordinary 18 months or so, getting on for two years now. Did that market volatility provide you opportunities uh, to revise the portfolio?
1: So I think just two high-level comments. One, we'll never go into cash. Uh, I always say shareholders have given us uh, capital to invest. We should remain fully invested. Their decision, if they want to buy or sell our shares. Second, we've got a a bank facility from Scotiabank and a $50 facility. And we use it, if you want, uh, tactically to increase our exposure or decrease our exposure. So it's just one observation. COVID has been... (laughs) A challenge for all of us, uh, whether it's at a business level, whether it's uh, as investors. We concentrated in the first instance on making sure you know, none of our investee companies would run into financial difficulties. And I'm pleased to say even today, all the way through, nobody has come to us and said, we need finance. So that's been a good outcome. I think in the beginning, we had a lot of uncertainty as to how businesses would react, but how governments might also react, because, you know, we are often in regulated sectors. But I think globally, governments have been extraordinary at stepping up to the plate and, and providing just the support societies needed broadly. And But in the beginning, we ran down our debt. We went into, if you want, the pandemic with $50 million of debt we allowed it to run down. And how did we do that? Where things held up? So we had an investment in Brazil in a wind business, Omega, who did a fabulous job at ex- executing their business plan. And even through the pandemic, there was you know strong support for them. So we sold out because we felt that they'd reached full valuation. We had You know, a few takeovers of some of our companies, we allowed those naturally to happen and settle. So actually, the 50 million came down to sort of 20. We shifted away in the beginning. And luckily, we were not heavily exposed. But We shifted away from airports because clearly they were going to be the last thing out you could feel. But towards October, November, I think as the vaccine became, if you want, available, I think You know, our view was this is just a matter of time. So we increased our debt back up to $50 And recently, the last three months, we've started to allow it to run down. Why? I think there's a fair amount of excess in the system, and we just need to have a little bit more confidence before, if you want, we ramp it back up. What I would say is the operating results from our investee companies have been extraordinary. I've been... (laughs) Really, really surprised how well management teams have have, um, managed their way through um, very tough challenges.
0: And it's interesting, obviously, in terms of 2022 so far, there's been much discussed around the vote rotation away from growth towards value. And even the good old FTSE 100 is keeping its head above water at the moment, unlike the US indices. And part of that, of course, is down to its defensive characteristics. Now, it seems that a lot of your underlying holdings do display those defensive qualities. How does that play into how you're positioned at the moment and what your outlook might be from here?
1: So I think, you know, two things. In the beginning of the pandemic, rightly, everybody did invest in, if you want, digital and and all the sort of benefits of displacement of workforces to work from home, along with the rest of the market. All of us went down, if you want. It wasn't, I don't think anybody's immune in a down market. So 2021 was a tough year. 2022 has been a good year. I would say almost, I try and look, I've always had a view, you should try and look through you know, we will look with a five-year horizon on any particular opportunity. And we can almost look through governments. We can look through, as long as we've got a good asset, good management team, they can out the value in time and we can be patient. But 2022, you know, was positive for us month on month on month. And January, I think, again, we've been um, published, but we've been up January versus the market. And, and and I'd expect that to happen because the underlying results are continuing to come through.
0: And finally, we've obviously got the volatility of rising interest rates quite apart from the rotation that we've just mentioned. Does that mean you, you'll continue to on the look through strategy and, and basically uh, ride the bumps as they come this year inevitably?
1: I think a lot of discussion around interest rates and and rightly so. Um, I, I would make one observation. I think a lot of the envelope that people are talking about in terms of peak of interest rates over the next 24 months, if that's where they end up in the US, UK and Europe, businesses will be fine. You know, I think it's clearly big, big shift. And there is, I think if you are Overborrowed, overextended. You're going to find it difficult. But majority of our investments are cash flow positive. Majority of them pay a dividend. So as a result, UEM, you know, has paid a a, a dividend throughout its life, and and that will continue. So I don't think we're vulnerable to interest rate rises, inflation. A lot of our businesses would have inflation built into their mandate, so they should be protected. I'm much more concerned about the friction between the U.S. and China and the friction between, if you want, Putin and and NATO in as much as those can destabilize long-term outlooks. So at the moment, I, I think we're concentrating on those. I think inflation and interest rates, we can see the envelope, but it's not significantly concerning
0: marvellous well unfortunately we've run out of time so i'll say many thanks again for your time charles and for those valuable insights and that's charles jillings talking about the utilico emerging markets trust thank you for listening please feel free to like and to subscribe and of course you can find much more by the way of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk i'll be back soon with another richard hunter interview bye for now